It's impossible to really perceive the world around you without using words if you've grown up with words. That's how God has designed the human mind. Now it maybe makes a little bit more sense for us when we begin to think about some of the things that God says to us in His Word, such as, the Word became flesh. The Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. In your notes, you have Psalm 139. This is a familiar psalm to all of us. Let's begin looking at Mark 7 by looking at Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I think the psalmist is reflecting there upon a truth that all humans have always known. We've always known that we are creatures that are without equal among the creation of what God has made, that we are creatures that are made in such intricate and complex and wonderful ways that the psalmist is just lifting up this psalm to heaven to say, you have made us in such incredible ways. You have, you've knitted together these bodies in, who, in which we reside that are unspeakably complex and advanced. You know, the human body that is the sometimes thought of as the apex or the crowning jewel of God's creation. We're not the crowning jewel of God's creation, by the way. The crowning jewel of God's creation, creative work is not man that's made in his image. The crowning jewel of God's creative work is redeemed man, is the church. The church is the crowning jewel of God's creation. But nevertheless, that doesn't detract anything from the incredible body that God has made for us. The body that we, it hasn't been that many weeks ago that we talked about the, the incredible engineering that went into the human hand and all the intricacies of the human hand we don't need to revisit that because that's not even really, I think, the best place to go. When we think about the body that God has made for us, we think, I think, most of all, of our five senses. We are given these five senses with which we interact with all of God's creation. Everything that you interact with, with the created world around you and with others, all of it is done through these five senses that you have, these five stunning, complex ways that God has given us of interacting with, with the world around us and people around us, with perceiving things around us, with understanding the universe around us and the created world around us. These, these senses that not only give us this information, but they also are capable of providing so much pleasure for us. God gave us these five senses that not only allow us to interact with the world, but they also are, are avenues or sources of pleasure for us. Think of your sense of smell and think of how, you know, we live in a modern world in which we have refrigerated food and grocery stores. But for most of humanity's existence, our sense of smell was crucial that we would not eat something that might be poisonous or spoiled for us or make us sick. 
But at the same time, while our sense of smell is crucial for us as, as creatures, it also can bring such pleasure to us. Think of the smell of flowers in the spring, freshly blossomed, freshly bloomed flowers. Or think of a, of a spring morning. Think of the beach as the salt water, the saltiness is in the air, and you, and you sense that with your sense of smell. What an incredible thing that God made that he has endowed us with the ability to, to sense particles, chemicals in the air that are measured in parts per million. And yet we can detect that and we can detect that with such accuracy as to recognize things or even have our emotions flooded with certain emotions. Who has ever had the experience of a smell bringing back a childhood memory? Such a wonderful thing God gave us with our sense of smell or our, our sense of taste. That God gave you these little buds on your tongue there that are capable of detecting so many different flavors. And also at the same time, not just assisting us in nourishing ourselves in, in that way, but also are capable of providing such pleasurable experiences for us, like a, like a well-cooked steak or um, a perfectly baked cake. Such pleasures that God has given to us throughout, through those senses. Or our sense of touch. Just think of what God has given us with our sense of touch. Our sense of touch is, is a wonderful thing that we often, I think, underestimate. But our sense of touch, you know, that the, the human hand is capable of detecting incredibly minute differences in texture. You can run your fingers over textures that are just so slightly different from one another, and you can detect the difference between those textures. And our sense of touch is something that really informs our minds around about the world around us in ways that we don't even really, I think, recognize. Because... What's one of the things that you always have to do when you see something new? What do you always have to do? You always have to touch it. Why? But you have to touch it. When you see something, maybe something, something somebody's made or something that someone has crafted, you just want to touch the thing, don't you? Because your, your sense of touching it informs you about the thing. Or what about a good, firm handshake between two men? Just that sense of touch there. What a thing that God has given us in our and our sense of touch. Who could, of course, forget our sense of sight? I think if we think about our five senses, that's probably the one that we would gravitate to the most as being our favorite, our sense of sight. God has given us these wonderful things called eyeballs and, and these images from the world around us can be reflected on the back of your eyeball. And that inverted, reversed image is translated into your brain and your brain then understands so many different complexities about the physical world around you. You are able to look at things and you can look at an image. You know that you can look at an image and your brain will remember that image the rest of your life. Somewhere in your brain, your brain has stored all the images that you've seen. The problem is retrieving them, but nevertheless, your brain has stored all those things. And your brain has translated all those images into precisely defined memories. You know that you can 
uh, see uh, identical twins. And you know how identical twins can look so much alike. But it's actually really, really difficult for identical twins to not be discernible because there will be just the tiniest difference between them and your eyes will memorize it and your eyes will notice it right away. And the same is true for so many different things. You think about, well, you just think about the, the whole subject of counterfeit money and how people have trained their eyes to immediately perceive the tiniest differences in those two different pictures. What an incredible thing the gift of sight is. And in addition to that, just think of the emotions and the pleasure that can come to us through our gift of sight, seeing a long lost friend or loved one or beholding some beautiful landscape. And then combine that together with the other senses that God has given us. Maybe, maybe uh, imagine in your mind sitting on a uh, hillside looking across a distant mountain view and all the bright fall colors are, are just turning and there's the smell of a, of a fall morning in the air and then the crisp coolness of the fall temperatures touching your skin and all those things are coming together to just bless you in a way that only God could have by giving you such incredible ways of interacting with the world around you. Then of course, the sense that we haven't talked about yet is a sense of hearing. And I think that's probably the, one of the most underappreciated senses that we have is our sense of hearing. God has gifted us with this ability to hear the world around us, to perceive things in the world around us in this stunningly beautiful way known as the sense of hearing. Now, you probably are familiar with a little bit at least of how this works, but it's, it, it is incredibly complex how your hearing works. We think of how we hear and you think of this thing on the side of your head that we call ears. And, and that's only just the start of it. This thing that's on the outside of your head that we get maybe so wrapped up about how it looks or the size of it. And women will stick a hole in it and hang some jewelry from it. That's only just the beginning. That's, that just traps these airwaves, these disturbances of the air. But inside of that, of course, goes into your outer ear through the ear canal into the middle ear, into the inner ear. And as those vibrations, the tiniest little disturbances of air, enter into the ear canal, they vibrate off this tiny little eardrum. And those vibrations are then transferred to those three tiny little bones called ossicles. Not to be confused with icicles, which is how I remember what ossicles are, by the way. But they translate into those three tiny little bones called ossicles. And those vibrations are then carried into the inner ear where they, those vibrations are transferred into this fluid called the cochlea fluid. And from that fluid, the vibrations are then transferred to tiny little hair follicles. And those tiny hair follicles pick up on those vibrations and they transmit that information to your auditory nerve, which then takes the information to your brain and your brain interprets these tiny little disturbances of the air that came to it by way of electrical signals down the auditory nerve, which came from the, the tiniest little movements of these hair follicles, which came from the little tiny little sack of fluid, which was vibrated by the three tiny bones, which was vibrated by the eardrum. And your brain takes those signals and it, discerns from those signals 
the most incredible information that you can imagine. Your brain discerns from those signals things like music. And your brain hears tones that are just the right tones that are placed at just the right spacing, at just the right speed, with just the right texture of tone to produce a piece of music that can move you to tears. Think about that. That your emotions can be so stirred by those tiny little disturbances in the air that your brain interprets so precisely that your brain is capable of receiving vast amounts of information through such channels as that. So we all have our types of music that we like, whether it be maybe something classical or some uh, piece of classic rock or something, something from from your past, and you hear that song and it just takes you to another place, to another time. And all that came through these little disturbances in the air that your ear picked up on and translated into signals for your brain. Or think about speech. Speech is one of the most fantastic realities of human existence that I can even imagine. Right now, I am communicating to you and ideas in my head are going to your head by way of these tiny little vibrations in the air that I'm manufacturing by the vibration of vocal cords and the movement of of lips and, and jaw and tongue just right, so as to send just the precisely correct disturbance in the air, the little wave in the air, so that it meets your ear and vibrates all those things just right so that your brain then thinks the same thought I was thinking. Does that fascinate you? We were truly fearfully and wonderfully made. It's such an incredible thing, the gift of hearing that God has given to us. So oftentimes we think of our gift of sight and we think, well, if I was ever faced with a choice that I had to lose, I had to forsake one of my five senses, the last one I'd want to give up would be my gift of sight. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm tempted to say a silent world would be a very difficult world to live in. Imagine a silent world. Now, if you're like me, the parent of small kids, then the, the thought of a silent world is actually pretty pleasant. But that's, that's a temporary silent world. That's, that's a period of silence that I'm thinking of. I'm speaking of permanent silence. Imagine a silent world in which there's no interaction with the world outside of you by way of your ears, that there is no communication of, of either information or emotion by way of your ears and the sounds that come through the air. Just think of what that would be like. Just think of what it would be like to have never experienced sound. One who is born deaf never has the development of language that we just talked about earlier, in which we associate sounds with reality. And we take those words and we use those words in order to think about the world around us. Have you ever noticed how your thoughts, even the thoughts that you never speak to someone else aloud, those just those personal thoughts, like when you talk to yourself, have you ever noticed that your thoughts are still organized in verbal words, even though you never verbalize them? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever just 
thought about how it is that you sit and think to yourself. Just you're, you're just going to sit and think for a while. And as you think, and as you're processing thoughts and ideas, if you just would just pay attention to how it is that you process those thoughts, you would realize that even in your silent talking to yourself world, you are still using words just without sounding them out. Your brain is still associating the sounds with the thoughts that you're processing. That's how deeply and that's how intricate language works for us in such a way that those who have spoken and heard their whole lives, that's how you perceive the world around you. You you really, it's impossible to really perceive the world around you without using words if you've grown up with words. That's how God has designed the human mind. Now it maybe makes a little bit more sense for us when we begin to think about some of the things that God says to us in His Word, such as, the Word became flesh. The Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. Or things like, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Or God said, let there be land, and there was land. And that theme of God speaking, God creating by speaking, is a theme far too great for us to even delve into right now. But maybe that just sheds a little bit of light on on why it is that God places so much emphasis on words because our human minds are so dependent upon language and words to even not just communicate with others, but to even communicate with ourselves. Now, the world of a person born deaf is a world devoid of language, is a world in which there are no words to form their thoughts and to organize their thoughts. I don't even know how to begin imagining that. I don't even know how to begin imagining what it would be like to have never had words that associated with the reality around me, that I could use those words to to think for myself. This is why throughout the majority of human history, those who were deaf particularly those who were born deaf, were usually considered insane. Because the the vast difference, the chasm between a person who has never had words and the rest of the world is so great that, again, until recent human history, people have always thought them to be insane. With all that, that really, I think, sets sets the frame for us to begin looking at one of the most powerful stories in Mark's gospel, the story, of course, of one who lived in a silent world and how Christ came to him and why Christ came to him and what was done and what that means.